0: Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one-stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode.
1: Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve here with a special guest, Eric Bitterman from Sky Kingdom Games.
0: Hey Steve, how are you? Nice to be here.
1: Hey Eric, I'm so glad you could join us. So you are here to talk about a new game that's currently on Kickstarter, the Isovarian Guard.
0: Yeah, we're uh, super excited. We just launched a little over a week ago, and this is expanding upon the Stonebound Saga universe. That's awesome. So, what is the Stonebound Saga universe? So, our company is about three years old, and we actually uh, published uh, our first game called the Stonebound Saga on Kickstarter. It was a large skirmish-based game. It had uh, over 70 characters, close to 300 abilities— and it was a card-driven tactical game. And it was our first entry into a saga of games for this world that we were building called Telios. And just last year, we released the first expansion to that game called Visions of Telios. And now the Isofarian Guard is set in that same world as those first two games, but it's completely standalone. So it's the same world, uh, same lore, different things going on. But this really fleshes out the characters in the world quite a bit more.
1: So the people need to have played these previous games to get into into the Isoferan Guard?
0: Not at all. The, like I said, this one's completely standalone. So while uh, people that are familiar with the first two games will see different uh, things that are similar between the two and catch some references, they don't have to know anything about the previous two titles at all to play and enjoy this game.
1: That's cool. So I'm sure we're we'll getting into the. Uh, the Isovereign Guard game in some more detail very soon here, but I'm curious, what's your relation to uh, Sky Kingdom Games? What's your role?
0: So I am actually the owner of Sky Kingdom Games, founded it in 2016, brought on a couple uh, friends of mine that uh, helped me develop uh, the Stonebound Saga over the years, and um, I both own the company and am the primary uh, designer on the titles. That's awesome. So how did you
1: wind up becoming the uh, owner of this and designer what what got you into the hobby
0: well that's um kind of a long story uh about almost 20 years ago i was kind of into uh miniature uh tabletop gaming like war gaming and had no desire to design games um i was more of a video gamer uh, and still actually uh, play video games years ago i you know collected miniatures i kind of Got together with friends and we made up our own like rule sets and just, you know, had a good time. Kind of like, I wouldn't say D&D, but like our own RPG system, you know, made up rules on the fly. We were all big fans of like uh, old school JRPGs, you know, Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, Final Fantasy Tactics. So taking different inspirations from titles like that, creating our own system on the tabletop setting with miniatures. And over the years, uh, the same group would just keep getting together on a weekly basis And eventually, the system kind of converted or transitioned into a card-driven system instead of the miniatures. I don't know when that was exactly, (laughs) um, but the mechanics just kind of flowed uh, into uh, a grid system where cards would move. And that's actually where the first ideas for the Stonebound Saga came from. And the more we developed it, just over time, uh, the friend group really loved the game. And eventually, a lot of people were like, you know, you should you know, share this out and get it out in the public for more people to see it. So we started to show it out and took it to a couple conventions. And the feedback that we got was people really love the game. And then they said, you know, maybe you should, you know, take a shot at publishing this game and getting it out there. The rest is history. So you decided to publish your own game right out the gate? Right out of the gate. Yeah. Just uh, like I said, it was just with a friend group uh, years ago and going into it i actually already own uh, i own a computer consulting firm i work as uh, in it for a living so i knew a little bit of the business side and uh, starting a corporation and things like that so i was able to do that side of it knew how to run a business you know i had a game already designed that we had been working on for you know close to 15 years with a big group of people so it just seemed natural uh, to do both the publishing and the designing together though I had plenty of feedback not to do both <laughs> from people. Like, do one or the other. It's so much work. And it is. <laughs> I will, I will <laughs> confirm that, that. Now that I'm in it, I do wish that I could, you know, one or, one or the other. I do enjoy both. Um, but I really enjoy designing games. That's really where my passion
1: is. Yeah, I was surprised when I was looking at the Skykin games that you were listed as both. I'm like, wait, what?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a lot of work. So It is. <laughs> and, like a second full-time job for sure.
1: that's a lot to manage so i appreciate you being on the show absolutely so curious uh, what are your favorite types of games you mentioned you like video games and jrpgs Uh, does that also translate over to the board game side we like uh, rpg style board games or what do you like
0: yeah um i would say in the video game realm you know open world stuff uh fantasy stuff uh skyrim comes to mind immediately i do like some random stuff like uh you know i'm playing overwatch here on the side i'm playing. Octopath Traveler right now on the Switch which is like a throwback old school JRPG style but uh, you know with new graphics but I also like with board gaming I'm all about thematic like heavily thematic and strategic games like worker placement stuff I like dice placement stuff so like I'm looking at my shelf right now uh, Raiders of the North Sea and all the expansions Uh, a little bit of role player and all the expansions I've got Vindication over there I've got Gloomhaven over there Charterstone, Grim Forest Yeah, just about everything. I've got a a good range of that. So yeah, whatever the game group likes, I'm open to just about everything.
1: That's great. I think our listeners are probably dying to learn more about what is Isofarian Guard. So why don't you give us a uh, description of the game?
0: So the Isofarian Guard is a one-to-two player uh, narrative-driven game. And it is set in the world of Telios, in the country of Isofar. And you are taking the role of the Isofirian Guard, and journeying across the country, um, you're going to actually be controlling two characters from the guard uh, through four different campaigns that span over 30 hours. And th- like I said, this is a narrative-driven game, so there's lots of story, uh, both uh, written in the campaign books, and something unique with this game is that we, com- uh, we partnered with a company called Foreteller who did complete voice acting and a musical score uh, of the entire narration. So it's an incredibly immersive experience. Um, As far as the mechanics in the game, the primary mechanic is uh, bag building to build your character along your journey. Um, You're doing some card and tableau uh, management and building. You're doing character customization. Uh, You're doing equipment crafting which is a really huge part of the game. There's a really cool enemy Automa system that kind of responds to what you do and the timing of what you do or what you uh, choose to do on your combat turns. And then, of course, like I said, it's an open-world experience. I really wanted to simulate letting the player do whatever they wanted right from the get-go, right after the the first scene is over uh, and the game says, okay, this is where the next story trigger happens. You know, you can decide to... Go to that story trigger and continue the main story, or you could just head off somewhere else and you know trigger side quests and um, go fight enemies over here, or go have a conversation with the different characters of the world. There's all kinds of things to do in the
1: Isafarian Guard. So this sounds like a very immersive RPG. When you're describing it and reading about it online, I, I definitely see like Skyrim in there a little bit, just from like the Nordic theme. And this whole open world environment, is this kind of where you may draw some inspiration from? Or tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I actually had a really cool interview with the guys at Man vs. Meeple. They're actually really close to me. They're in Indianapolis and I'm in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and that was one of the first things that they said is it really reminded them of that uh, experience with Skyrim. It's open world. I can go wherever I want. I can craft equipment. I can you know, level up my character, that kind of a thing. Um, so certainly there was some inspiration there. The actual look of the characters and the country theme, that was more of, that wasn't on purpose. The northeastern country of Telios, of this world that we've created, is that type of look. Uh, it is a cold country in the north with mountains, and it's got the plains in the center and forests in the south. The world of Telios that we've created actually has seven unique countries um, with different types of people, different uh, but lots of di- uh, diverse people, people groups and, and looks. And actually the plan is to expand upon all the countries of Telios eventually. So right now we're focusing on Isofar. But like I said, there's six other countries that we can explore. Um, and you'll actually hear about a couple other countries in this game. You'll hear about Koros. You'll hear about Falmond in this game. And you'll hear about those people groups. Um, and actually even in the first scene of this game, uh, you see the Isopherian Guard has actually just taken out a patrol of uh, soldiers, of scouts that have come in from the country of Falmouth.
1: That sounds really interesting. So there's, assuming this goes well through and everything, which is it's looking doing really well on Kickstarter, are you planning to maybe expand the system in the future?
0: That is currently the plan. Uh, we've got um, a couple of different things in development right now, and all that obviously will depend on how well the Isopherian Guard does. But yeah, we want to continue expanding this world as far as we can go. We've got a really ambitious vision for what we want to do. Like I said, it started with the Stonebound Saga, and it's a saga. It's a a whole series of games to really flesh out this world. The Stonebound Saga, like I said, was just a skirmish game, and it was just a ton of characters, 70 different unique characters, but it was just a skirmish game. Like, why are they fighting? Who are these people? You know, What are these places? And while... We love the Stone Mountain Saga, and it's a great tactical game. It didn't dive into the people, the personalities, the the emotion, the the countries. Um, so this game begins that deep dive into the world, and hopefully we can continue that in multiple titles after this as well.
1: So RPG type games and leveling up and dungeon crawls—they are found everywhere in board in the board game hobby. Uh, what really makes this stand out different than you? Know, this is one of our questions
0: from Nick Skeen from our community. Definitely. I I would say the biggest thing with this game is the feeling of freedom. That, right, like I said, right from the beginning of the game, I'm free to explore. I don't have to go to the main story. Um, like It is a story-driven game, and it's all about the story at the end of the day. But you will have so many other things to do. This is like a completionist game in a lot of ways. Like, I can do this entire crafting tree. We have a mining system where the the different characters can go mine uh, different various uh, minerals and stones, combine them together to create custom accessories. Uh, They can do over 50 different unique side quests in the game. So they'll have all these different things to do and the main story, and everything is going to be voice acted with custom music around it, that, uh, as far as I know, really hasn't been done to this level. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I'm trying to bridge the gap between the digital and the analog here. The experience of playing Skyrim on my computer, but you know, the tactile touch of moving things on the table, the the weighted chips, the huge map and miniatures, things like that. So
1: you've mentioned a couple times about having the soundtrack in. I got to admit, I'm going to geek out here a little bit. But when I heard that soundtrack, I got my blood moving. I'm a huge sucker for epic movements like that and orchestral music. When I'm listening to music normally, I'm listening to that type of music. My wife just thinks I'm weird, and I probably am. But (laughs) like Hans Zimmer stuff. Sure. John Williams. And um, there's another group, uh, Two Steps from Hell is the name of it. Oh, gosh. Love that stuff. Sure. So – yeah, that, when I heard that and you had this op- epic orchestral music going on, I got
0: super interested in this game. Just a little bit of background. Uh, music is a really big part of my life. I'm actually a musician. Uh, I've been playing drums and piano for over 30 years, and I teach percussion. And just music is s- so powerful. It brings uh, that truly immersive emotional experience. Some of my best games growing up had incredible soundtracks. And with the wrong music, the whole experience changes. So, when I completely agree yeah, so when designing a game like this, I just knew the sound had to be right. I couldn't like go to like a you know license free uh, library of music and just slap those tracks in there. It would not feel right. So when we were doing the voice recording, I wanted the music to actually ebb and flow around what people are saying. When there was a big emotional moment, I wanted the music to crescendo right into that area so you would feel the scene even more. So yeah, music is a big part of this game as well. And uh, like I said, we have the Foreteller uh, experience, which is a separate companion app that comes um, separately from the game. And that'll have the voice acting and the music behind it. But there's also a separate soundtrack that we have offered with the Stonebound Edition. And that's all the music from the game, without the voice acting in it, as well.
1: I'm curious. Now, you were talking about the orchestral music behind the voice acting, but will the Forteller app, or will it be some other method of having that orchestral music play while you're just simply playing the game, or do you need the soundtrack for that experience?
0: Yeah, you'll have the option of either uh, no audio, just reading the, ru- uh, the rule the rulebook and playing it as is. Uh, you can play the game uh, with the rulebook and Foreteller listening to it or you can play with the rule book and just the soundtrack and the soundtrack will be uh, a digital product that can be downloaded to your phone or, you know, played on whatever platform you like. Um, And the option is yours really.
1: So one of our community members, Chuck Fox was curious about that. He was, he doesn't necessarily like the digital element in his board games. And so it sounds like you can definitely play this separate. If you want, if you want the digital, it's there. If you don't want it, no big deal. It doesn't change anything.
0: Yeah. And to kind of speak to that too, Uh, We wanted the four tiller experience to not like get in the way. This isn't like a screen that you're going to have in front of you all the time. It's going to be supplemental and only serves to make the whole game more immersive. So like you're not going to be sitting there, you know, messing around with the screen the whole time and breaking the experience of playing the game. It should be a side thing that just makes the whole experience even better. I'd
1: like to touch back on that open world discussion we had earlier because that's a really ambitious task to try to achieve in a board game. It is. So, (laughs) yeah, one of our listeners on another podcast, actually Jason Perez, he asked the question. So he was asking, um, when he hears open world, he thinks Skyrim, of course, (laughs) because that's one of the big games and we already talked about it a little bit. But when he thinks about it, he thinks it's exciting adventure, but also a buggy mess is how he described it. So how do you tackle having exciting adventure, and all these options, but not having it get bogged down.
0: Yeah, it is a huge challenge. We, we've been working on the system for quite a while, and the way to keep it open world, but yet limited, uh, was to have this node system that we have. So if you looked at the world map, there's like over, I think like forty something or close to 50 different nodes on the map, and each one of these little circle nodes has five uh, unique things that happen on them. Those can vary from unique encounters with enemies they can be side quests they can be you know puzzles they can be uh, different things that can happen there could even be multiple side quests on some nodes. so there's going to be a variety of different things to do um, but it's very set like each zone will have a specific amount of things that you can do um, so it's not overloaded and it's not a lot to keep track of so uh, we use the chips for tracking where to go, where the target is, where you save, different things like that. Uh, so it doesn't become too much. So it sounds like you can go on the main quest and
1: try to complete the campaign, but you can also go on side quests and you can maybe just grind away. How do you design around that if someone's just go out and grind and get leveled up super big and just plow through the game? How do you manage that?
0: For sure. Yeah, that was actually one of the first questions I saw on the uh, comment wall with our Kickstarter campaign is, you know, what if I just want to start the game, immediately go back and forth between a couple of different nodes, level up all the way, and then like power level through the entire story. So really quick want to say that you cannot do that. Like, you could certainly go back and forth between nodes in the beginning. And what you'll end up doing is you'll get a little bit of experience, you'll get a little bit of, you know, enemy drops from some of the starting uh, areas, but your character really isn't going to progress beyond a certain point, and here's why. So we've gated um, the enemy system in this game. So you'll start the game, the entire map will have a very similar level of enemies. So there's a star system in the in the enemies uh, in this game, one, two, and three stars. In the first area of the game, you'll explore, or the first campaign of the game, you'll uh, explore Uh, the entire map and you can go all the way to the bottom all the way to the top and you'll you'll have that very similar level of enemy when you get to a certain part of the story or the main campaign after a certain trigger happens the entire map will upgrade you'll have stronger enemies start to show up that will give you more experience that will give you rarer drops so yeah you can sit in that first area and you can grind back and forth, but you're not going to get a lot of experience. You're not going to get the items that you really need to craft the interesting equipment, things like that. You're also probably not going to survive that far, because in this game, your health stays the same after every battle. You're not recovering it back to full after an encounter. And the only way to recover for health in this game is to buy. Uh, you're staying in an inn overnight to recover your health, or you're using possible items that you purchase from a shop or an ability. Now, as soon as I said that on the wall, we immediately got another question. What? A, I'll just camp right next to an inn. I'll stay at an inn. I'll pop outside the city, doing a couple notes and go back in. That would, be, that would work for sure. And we thought of that. And inns also cost gold. So you're not just going to be able to spam the inn over and over again. You're going to have to go out a little bit to get resources to go back. On top of that, we don't just let you stay at the same inn over and over again. So the narration will actually block you from going back into specific areas. But not to make it too hard, we do have other things besides main inns in the cities throughout this uh, game. So even in – I actually just posted an update last night on our campaign – And that actually has a traveling caravan that moves along the map and it's kind of a, it's a mobile inn uh, and a marketplace in a lot of ways. So while you're adventuring across the map, you'll have the option to find the caravan to catch up, stay there, so you don't have to travel all the way back to a city.
1: That sounds awesome. And I'm curious too, we're talking about this whole narrative campaign and this caravan moving around that you can, you can go find, it's very thematic. I'm curious, though, of how that caravan moves in the game, and if this is replayable, like, is it a random movement, or is it triggered on very specific locations? So if I played the campaign once, I know where it's going to be, and I could anticipate that.
0: Yep, for sure. That's something that we've talked about. We played with a couple different systems about how it could, you know, move this many spaces per turn and around, and we didn't really want the character to be, you know, chasing it around the map, and... Will, will I ever catch up or do I have to predict where it's going to go? It, it didn't seem right. <laughs> so um, the way that we have the system is it will uh, jump to specific areas of the map after specific story quests. We're working on a system to where it will randomly move to a different part of the of the map after. So the, the triggers will stay the same every time you play. Where it will land will be a little different um, so that if I choose to play that same campaign over again, I'm like, oh, I know it's going to, you know, go right back down to Mirror next time, or I know it's going to go down to Razdor, and I can just, you know, anticipate that and always get the good stuff.
1: Speaking of the caravan, you can get some awesome goods from that and maybe some rare items. Uh, How does character customization work in this? You talked a little about how you can craft your own items and you can mine, but what type of items can you do? How can you build out your character?
0: Yep. So when you're controlling... Um, your character in the Izopherion guard, everything is managed on a character dashboard. Um, so you've got a, a couple different cubes that you're moving around for your health and for your AP, which is your action points that you use to power your abilities. Also within the dashboard, you've got four different slots for the character's equipment. and then you've got an area called a satchel. The four different slots for the equipment are for the weapon, for the armor, for an accessory and for an item. And you can wear uh, obviously one thing in each one of those slots, and you can also carry up to three of each one of those types in your character's satchel as well. So this allows you on the road to be able to swap equipment. If I come up to a battle or something like this and I could tell that enemies are doing something specific like you know throwing poison chips in my character's bag Maybe I'll equip accessory, you know, a specific accessory that makes me immune to poison. I don't take damage anymore, or you know, gives me more defensive chips for something because you know the attack, uh, the enemies are really um, dishing out a lot of damage, and I need to change my tactics. Or, you know, I want to swap out a specific armor piece that gives me a specific ability because in this game, specific equipment pieces actually unlock new abilities for your characters. And this is part of where the character customization is. So half the fun in the combat of this game is actually setting up your uh, engine, so to speak, before you go into combat. So I equip this gear, I equip up to six different ability cards, and I am I am building an efficient engine going into combat and how it will work. So this sounds a little bit different than
1: other board games that follow a similar theme of leveling up and character customization. almost sounds like in this one from your description, that you might not just have one build for this character. You might have a couple builds, and you would swap between them based upon the enemies that you're facing. Is that correct?
0: That's exactly correct. So, like, players who are familiar with the Stonebound Saga will see a lot of the references and styles um, that uh, have given a lot of inspiration to our system in the Isopirion Guard. So the, the Stonebound Saga had seven different classes of characters to them. And a lot of the styles of gameplay from those seven different classes you'll see reflected in the guards here. And even within a specific class, we've given them multiple different ways to you know go. Higher attack, higher defense, more action points, more support. Uh, it It will be tailored exactly how the player wants to play it. And one thing I want to point out really quick, and I've seen a lot of questions about this, is each character in the game has a a skill tree that they progress up. So after you defeat an enemy, you're gaining what's called Lux Essence, and that's the experience system in the game. And you are moving a chip up the character's skill tree to unlock bonus chips for their bag, bonus stats for them. The examples that are on the campaign, uh, the campaign page are actually not final examples. Um, and actually the image that's used is a duplicated one because each skill tree for the characters is unique. Um, And we're actually going to be expanding upon the skill tree system. It's not going to be like one big board that's really tall. We're probably going to have one that's more square, uh, smaller icons, and lots of different passive trees. So that you can really go up multiple different areas and have very specific roles for your character that will feel completely different. Stop it. This is going to be too exciting (laughs) for this game.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. So it sounds like even if you were to play the campaign again, you could totally go down a different path and have a different experience. And that's on top of the different builds you would be doing.
0: Yeah, if you were to play the the campaign again, yes, you would know the main storyline and maybe how the campaign ends, the finale of it. But the way the combat will feel, you can play completely different. Just like in Skyrim. Like, hey, I want to play, you know, complete with sword and shield, you know, standard sword and board, or I want to play mage or whatever the next time. Like, you can make each one of these characters feel completely different each time, and the story can actually be completely experienced in a new way because there's uh, a ton of branching paths in this game and major decisions. So even in the first the first campaign in the gameplay example that we've given so far with Grigory, you start the game, he travels to Silni, and even in the first scene there at Castle Strig, he's presented with an option. He talks to um, King Karst, and there's this character called Timnota that comes out and the game presents you with a decision after this specific scene. And if, uh, the people that are listening, if they haven't heard that, I would encourage them to go listen to the scene. It's, it's an incredible scene. And right after the scene happens, the player is prompted. Do I talk to the king alone in his chambers about this? Or do I confront Timnota right now about what she just challenged me on? Based on what you do in that very decision, your path completely changes in the direction that you go. And there's dozens and dozens of these decisions in each one of the campaigns. So I can play through campaign one completely down one side. And if I decide to play campaign one again at a different time, I can take the other side and all the other different trees to experience the, the story in a new way. And if you're using Foreteller, you'll hear all the different voice acting and all the different music that goes along with all those unique scenes as well.
1: So that's kind of crazy. You have the voice actors for all these branching options as well.
0: Yep, yep. There's a um, there's an entire uh, voice acting cast that we have. That we've got some amazing talent uh, that we brought on for this project. Uh, Julie Elvin, uh, who sung the main theme for the Ice of Fear and Guard, has done work on World of Warcraft, League of Legends, Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, it turned out amazing. And then some of the voice acting, the, the cast that we have, they've done incredible work. There's uh, a guy that's uh, been on The Office and Arrested Development. There's a, a three-time Emmy Award winning voice actor in there. Like, Foreteller has done an incredible job of bringing on amazing voice actors to really capture the characters that we uh, that we really uh, envisioned for this title.
1: So we talk about the campaigns. You have four campaigns in this uh, game, and each campaign follows... Uh, a pairing of two characters, is that correct?
0: That's correct. Four, four separate campaigns, each one lasts about 8 to 10 hours, and each specific campaign is paired with two of the Isofarian guards.
1: And so if you're playing solo, can you play one character, or you, do you play two characters at a time?
0: Yeah, if you're playing solo, you would actually control both characters at the same time. So you're going to be here, you're going to be reading, uh, and or listening to the story uh, through the eyes of those specific characters so you're gonna hear their lines you're gonna hear the voice acting of those two characters so that's why the campaigns were specifically fair to them
1: yeah that makes sense especially since if you look at the kickstarter page there's these awesome miniatures with actually two characters on a single base and they're awesome poses so i'm guessing these are the two characters that are for each of those campaigns
0: yeah, that's correct. Uh, we wanted to do something a little different with having dual character miniatures uh, with custom bases, really dynamic poses that look like they were in a scene together, battling together, and we think they turned out uh, incredible.
1: And so if someone else wanted to join a campaign that's was currently playing, I'm, they could just jump in as one of those two characters or likewise leave, and then um, I would just take over both characters.
0: Yep, that's exactly right. We designed the system to where... Someone can start on their own, have a friend show up one night, jump right in and take over, and then you know have the original character complete the story at another time seamlessly.
1: So what about mixing and matching characters between campaigns? <laughs> I know it kind of break the theme a little bit because yeah. you've got these awesome voice actors, and it really sounds like the campaigns are set around those characters, so yep. it'll be kind of weird, but is it possible? How does that work?
0: Yeah, this has actually been, specifically in the last few days, I've seen this question come up a lot. Like, what if I want to you know, have Vera and, you know, Catherine together or Grigory and, you know, Pavel or whatever. Um, because like I said, all these characters feel different and what I wanna, you know, try these different combinations and see where where they would work. So uh, to speak to that, the four different care yeah, the four different campaigns are written specifically to the characters. So yeah, you're you're reading what they said in the situation, you're listening to what they said in the situation. It would feel Kind of jarring and weird to be playing two separate characters but be hearing uh, or reading the actual lines from different characters in a specific scene. And as far as the mechanics of the game, each campaign was designed and balanced to highlight the strengths of these pairs and to exploit some weaknesses in specific scenes, specific battles. So the numbers were specifically tailored and balanced for those so yeah you it would work if someone really you know wanted to go through a campaign using other characters while listening to you know the lines of the other ones but it, it's going to be more balanced and play a lot more solid with the characters that they were meant to go on Now not going to give anything away too much <laughs> but there may be other content that we haven't talked about yet that may allow you to combine separate characters. I'll, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> and, and, and we may hear about that before the end of the campaign uh, depending on how it goes.
1: So if you guys want to know more, check the campaign towards the end. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I'm curious, why did you limit the game to one or two players? Has it hurt or
0: helped you in generating excitement for the game or this is a an area that um, I really thought this title would this player count would be just the perfect spot for this title. it, it it's a player count that I think needs more titles. Uh, You know, not everybody can get together with their, you know, gamer group all the time. You know, there's a lot of, you know, solo gamers out there or couples or, you know, people that can just, you know, get together with one friend here and there. And this was specifically designed for that small group. So I saw the need for that. And the system really plays better at one or two. The, the, The table would be huge and there would be so much going on Trying to force a third, fourth, or fifth player. So, if you know people wanted to see what we could do with multiple players, the Stonebound Saga <laughs> so supports um, you know two to six players as well. But th- this was really designed for that small group uh, experience.
1: I do appreciate that. because I feel like there's a lot of games nowadays that have on the higher player count, maybe on the lower player count in some cases as well. It's on the box, but it yep. really doesn't play that well. And so it sounds like you've already considered that. And-
0: yeah, and, and we didn't want to force it. Like a, a lot of um, a lot of games will try to force, and usually it's not the opposite, honestly. You'll see a game that's like 2 to 5, 2 to 6 or whatever, and you know, many people will clamor for the solo mode or the solo option, and it's kind of forced in there, kind of a second thought. And I wanted it to be the primary thought, right? the primary design was for one to two players. Everything was geared towards that more focused experience. I, I mean, to be honest, you're going to be listening to large chunks of story and reading and stuff, and in a large group, keeping the attention span and the distractions and stuff isn't going to be the same and maybe not as um, immersive of as experiencing it you know, yourself or with one other person.
1: And so how does uh, player elimination happen in this game? If it happens, like if I was playing with two players at the table and one character unfortunately didn't survive and the other one continued on how does that work
0: i can tell you've been reading the comments on the wall today <laughs> so absolutely came up today and when a character goes down in battle it if one survives i should say and one is is still or has fallen um the party will continue so the player isn't eliminated but they are out until the other character is raised and there's multiple different ways to raise a character in this game so Just like you save in the game to recover, you can make your way back to an inn to recover the health. Uh, You can also use uh, different items in the game that can temporarily revive you and different things like that. And there's even, uh, you can craft and purchase items to do some fast traveling. So if you want to get out of an area really quick, uh, you picked up something rare from, you know, this epic battle that you just did, but you've got to make it all the way back down to the inn. You use some fast travel, you use some different things to get down to where you need to recover. There are ways um, and penalties for losing in the game, but we tried to minimize them as much as possible so it wasn't so punishing. And and to answer your question further, if both characters die in, in the wild, you reset back to the last inn that you rested at. And something unique actually happens when you fall. So all the equipment that you have equipped to your characters is, is there. It's not touched. So you're not like showing up at the end with like nothing on. But everything that is stored in your character's satchels drops right at the node that you were at. And after you reset at the end, you will have to make it back to that same location in order to reacquire the loot that was in your satchel. If you were to fall again before making it to the satchel you'll completely lose the contents. So that's where the penalty can come into play. And we try to minimize that as much as possible by allowing you to keep everything that's equipped on your characters. You don't lose those, so you're not starting from scratch with no equipment. But you'll lose things like enemy drops and gold and things like that.
1: So we're talking about how you lose items or keep track of items and, and other gear in the game. How does that tie into wanting to save a game state after a play of however long you want to play? Yep.
0: So there's a couple of different aspects to saving the game. Like I said, ins are where you go to actually save the location of your game. But as far as you know, how much progress you made on the skill tree, how many chips are in the character's bag, which cards are on my character, um, you know, what's in my inventory— so there's actually a chest system in specific cities. So I can store things in this chest, uh, and this will probably um, be represented. We're probably going to use the game tray system that we unlocked uh, actually as the first stretch goal of this campaign. So the characters are going to have little character trays where you can put the specific chips that are in their bag right in there. They'll slot right in all the equipment that's in there, all the different unlocks, um, and, and mark exactly what in you're at as well. So it'll be a very quick save system. Uh, setup and breakdown is no more than like five to ten minutes. So it's very quick.
1: That seems like a, a point to bring up even further. A d- adventure game, Dungeon Crawl leveling up game that takes five to ten minutes to set up <laughs> is kind of unheard of. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, it was something that yeah, I I personally don't like games that are like massive to set up. So I wanted something to- you fold out the map, you put the two-character dashboards down, I throw chips in my bag, I open the rule book and I'm done. Like, I'm I'm ready to go right into the, the actions. The the story is center stage, so I don't really have to set up that, and the bag system um, doesn't take long to set up. Just a few cards and some chips.
1: I want to start talking about the, the combat in this game a little bit. We talked about how this is a bag builder, so and you have action points, and how to use these chips to attack and defend against enemies, if you don't mind describing that a little bit to our yeah, audience.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the combat system is unique in that uh, you're going to first draw chips equal to the character's action points, these little uh, clear gray cubes. Um, And most of the characters in the game start with two of these cubes. So every turn, you're going to be drawing chips individually. And I say that specifically because you don't want to draw two chips out at the same time because there are negative chips that enemies are going to put in your bag that will trigger when you pull them. That's why they're one at a time. So you'll pull these chips out specifically, and then you'll place these chips on your character's ability cards to power them. So these chips are actually acting kind of as a stamina system for your character, and they will eventually run out of your bag. So back to how they're used, you're going to be placing the chips on the character's uh, ability cards, and the ability will indicate how many chips are needed as well as how many AP are needed to power the ability. So for example, cross strike, one of the first abilities for Grigory, one sword chip and one AP, and it modifies his attack by one. So he swings in for one. And I slide the cube down for one action point and it used the one chip. And I will probably have one cube left and I'll have one chip left to possibly power something else as well. And then once all of my characters are done in combat, uh, I refresh my action points back to normal and the enemies begin their turn. Now, the enemies don't use chips like we do. Instead, they have an AI uh, an AI system or a card system that they'll draw, and you'll follow the actions on their turn, they'll resolve their damage, and then it will go back to you as well.
1: Yeah, that seems really interesting. Um, one thing that I've seen come up, and I know you're already aware of this, but I've seen comments on BGG, on the Kickstarter page, and elsewhere that... Some people are concerned that there's not enough player agency or decisions in the combat, and especially talk about like the lower level uh, characters. I know you posted the update recently, showing some more interesting combinations. Can you talk a little more
0: about that? Yeah, that's um, even before the campaign page uh, or the campaign started, we knew that we were going to uh, get a couple questions about the combat system that were like this, and it was actually one of our biggest concerns. Is we did not want system to play itself so yes i've got these chips in a bag i'm drawing them randomly every turn but how do i mitigate the randomness how can i manipulate the system how can i have meaningful choice on my turn no one just wants to have the bag just play itself i don't want to just let the system go and just see what happens Uh, as much as i'm building the character beforehand with my you know equipment and my ability cards I do want to have multiple options. I do want to be able to adjust my strategy when I face enemies. So um, the first campaign, the opening scenario that we've shown so far, um, didn't really highlight the strengths of that. uh, And we probably could have done that a little bit better because in the very beginning of the game, when you're controlling just Gregory before he teams up with Alec, um, he has a very limited uh, ability set. And he doesn't have a lot of options. So he's got four different abilities. You know, he's placing one sword chip or one shield chip or two, of, uh, two swords or two shields. Nothing too big. I'm just drawing the chip. I'm placing it. But a little after those opening scenes, the combat system really opens up. You start getting new abilities called speaking stones that are not powered by chips at all. And instead of using chips, you're using these little gems that have a cooldown period. So you activate them on one, they are not uh, utilized on uh, round two, and then they come back on round three. So they're every other turn. This This creates some interesting combinations between when I use my chip abilities and when I use my speaking stone abilities. So timing is very important in this game. A lot of the character abilities are actually triggered by what the enemies do. On their turn so remember I talked about the enemies having a AI system earlier there's uh, eight different specific cards um, in the deck for each enemy and six of them there's three pairs of cards and there's two unique cards or special cards in their deck so as the enemies are flipping these cards over you have to pay attention to what AI cards are being flipped if they draw one of those special cards, it's going to be more of a stronger ability. Um, I know that there's less odds for another one to show up in the deck because one is already flipped over. And say I'm using Grigory, I have an ability called Focus Dance. If I can predict when the enemy will use their special attack and I activate Focus Dance before they do it, I get a bonus of an extra AP on my next turn and I'm able to do more things. So there's, the, there's this card counting aspect that's going on on the side where I have to pay attention to what the enemy is doing. But back to your original question about the character customization. Um, each character has up to six different slots to equip character abilities. And in the very beginning of the game, it's kind of acting as a tutorial with Grigory. He has those four different abilities. Those will vastly change uh, as you progress in the story. You will get Dozens of different ability cards, and you'll be able to swap those cards out, giving you the choice of what you want to do. Different speaking stone abilities, different basic abilities that are powered with chips. You will control how it plays more offensively, more defense, more utility, all those different things. And then when you get a second character and they start um, synergizing together, the different abilities from your first character and your second character will start comboing off of each other and the order in which you do things will matter and in addition to all the character abilities your actual equipment will affect what you can do with your chips you actually alluded to that uh, in the recent update that we did we had some rings that were revealed with this caravan on one of our stretch goals coming up and it talked about storing chips so a lot of uh, people have been making comments about you know i draw chips and it's very you know, obvious what I can do. I draw one chip. Oh, look, I have one card that has a, chi- a, a sword chip. I have to obviously do that. So we wanted to give the player more choice by um, choosing maybe not to attack on this turn and instead storing the chip without using it and without discarding it on a specific piece of equipment. Once I get enough chips stored up, I can you know, boost my stats or I can boost my AP for the remaining of the battle. So I can start ramping up my action points. Um, I can start doing stronger attacks, uh, different things like that. We also, and I'm actually going to speak to this in a gameplay video that we're uh, putting together right now. One of the main uh, systems, and I'm gonna go back to the Stonebound Saga for a second. For players that have played the Stonebound Saga, in that game, you're also drawing cards to power the character's abilities. But even when you don't have the cards to use their abilities, we built in a system called standard attack. So even if I don't have the cards, I'm always I can always do a standard attack. I can always do like a general attack that I know will do damage. So we actually have a system in this game that does the same thing that we haven't talked about too much and we actually had implemented it more within the equipment and the abilities, and we're actually going to switch it into the core gameplay. And this is more towards the feedback that we've been getting about the combat. So the way this will work is, when you're drawing your chips in the beginning of your turn, let's say I drew two shields. When I draw two shields, usually my option is I can power my defensive abilities. But what if I want to attack? You know, that's kind of frustrating. Like, the enemy's got one hit point left, and I'm just going to shield? That doesn't even make any sense. So we had abilities in the in the game where you can you use chips and an ability to convert a chip into the opposite type. So we're going to use that same mechanic and say, if I draw two of the same type of chip, I can actually convert two into one. So I will have the choice of attacking on that turn, but I will be more limited in what I can do. So, for example, if I drew that double shield, I can turn it into one sword chip and choose to attack and end the enemy's turn instead. But I will be, you know, I won't have any defense that turn as well. That will really uh, give some better choices and strategic uh, decision making. Yeah, one of the other things I
1: saw on the previews on the page uh, were cards that would do things I wasn't expecting in a bag builder. Like it would generate uh, green cubes. And once you got enough green cubes, you could power something up so it sounds like you're got a lot more tricks in the bag per se to uh to reveal to us in the future
0: yeah absolutely uh the combat system was designed to be really fast and really fun it's it's like it's not a brain burner like it's not like i'm sitting there like analyzing what i should do i i didn't want that i wanted uh you to get right back to the story and experiencing that open world adventure i didn't want you to like be sitting in a battle for like 10 to 15 minutes that's that's not what the goal is here so the combat should be strategic and fun but also quick uh but also feel interesting too it shouldn't be too easy so yeah we have different uh abilities that do some unorthodox things they synergize with the other characters i can add chips to my allies bag this is really neat when you're playing co-op feel like you're helping each other and not you know selfishly just you know hitting the enemy myself and defending but you know i am actually assisting my ally who's you know low on defense by giving them more defensive tokens or you know my ally can be throwing offensive tokens my way and you mentioned green chips green chips are actually very unique in this game because when you draw green chips they actually don't count against your draw count for the turn so i could be drawing extra chips on my turn they kind of act as mitigating tools because i have more options available to me and remember those rings i talked about where you can store chips on them when you start adding green chips and i'm drawing extra turn or extra chips on my turn that i can't use guess where those chips are going so i can do my existing abilities and start powering up those rings for bonuses at the same time so the system really starts to hit on a lot of different cylinders the further it progresses. Sounds like you really th- thought of
1: a lot of different options on how to how to push this bag building mechanic. That's exciting to hear.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a fun system uh, with the Stonebound Saga, with Visions of Telios, and with this game. You know, the game was designed in a way that we enjoy playing it. Like, if if we're not enjoying the game ourselves, then is anybody else going to enjoy this game? So we're having a blast as a team playing this game. And we're really looking forward to sharing to it, uh, sharing this out with people. We, we think people are really going to love it.
1: Also, I'm hearing a, a, a theme from you when describing this game that it's all about the narrative. Like, that's the core purpose of this game with combat and puzzles and exploration all mixed into it. Yep. So maybe that's something to keep in mind. If someone's looking for, like, a combat experience, like, it's definitely in here, but
0: the core is definitely narrative. Yeah, the core is all about the story Uh, And everything else is enhancing that experience. The combat is definitely there and it's fun, you know, drawing chips and applying it and all that stuff. Like, you know, if I wanted all narrative, I would read a book or listen to an audio book, but this is a game. So yeah, those mechanics are there to make the narrative and story even more engaging. When I hear in the narrative that I'm fighting this incredible boss or whatever, you know, it's going to be way more uh, intense and and fun when I'm controlling what's happening with chips and with abilities with my character.
1: So talk about the narrative and how people can obviously read the book if they want, but we do have that Foreteller app. But talk about that a little bit more in the sense that, like how did that affect your design process or creation the game, if it did at all? It was an amazing
0: kind of series of events that led us to partner with foretellers. So um, I actually saw a post from one of the main guys from Foreteller in a Gloomhaven group uh, a handful of months ago. Um, Foreteller was working on scenarios for Gloomhaven, and they kind of put in like an example out there of what it would sound like, just grabbing some feedback. Like, hey, what, is, what does the community think about this? Is this something that you would like? As soon as I heard uh, the voice acting, the music, the effects that they put behind I'm like, they've really got something special here. And, you know, I had not thought about using voice acting or music for the ice guard up to that point. But when I heard that example, I'm like, this is what this game needs to really stand apart, to take the story to the next level, because it's one thing to just read a story and experience it that way, but it's a completely different experience to read and listen uh, at the same time uh, is my preferred method is reading the text while I'm listening to it. It's just an incredible experience. So long story short, I reached out to the guys at Forteller after I heard that example. I said, Hey, I've got this project coming up. Would you guys be interested in partnering with it? It turns out the Forteller team has been a big, has been big fans of the stonebound saga for a long time. And oh. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this will end up being a great fit because they were already invested in those games and in the story. And they got right behind this as well. So now we're just really excited to be working with that team and, as you've heard on the campaign page, what they've done so far with the narrative has been absolutely unbelievable.
1: It sounds awesome and epic, and it definitely gives me vibes of these RPGs, and these cutscenes almost, but in a board game, uh, analog setting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is, um, it's definitely a unique experience, and it's, the voice acting and narration part of this game uh, for Fort Taylor will actually be around like nine, I think like eight to nine hours worth of audio just to, to give people like an idea of how much content is there, it's incredibly worth it uh, to add Forteller on the, for, the, for the experience and the immersion that's being added.
1: So what do you find most challenging when trying to create this game, either through the design process or publishing it? Because you're tying a lot of elements. You're tying in a, an open world system, uh, this narrative element with like Forteller, and it's a soundtrack. It's a lot of moving pieces. So how, do you, what, how did you approach this, and what was most difficult in that?
0: There's absolutely a lot of moving pieces process here and i mean luckily i don't have to manage the foreteller side in that that's a separate team that's uh, doing that so there's a huge team that's behind this project it's not just a couple guys i would say the most challenging aspect is both keeping that open world experience while having you know the narrative progress at a good pace um and balancing um the enemies, as they progress along the story, kind of like the, the ramping system, you kind of have to curve the balance a lot. Of, there's a lot of math that goes behind it uh, and making it feel seamless, you know, not, not big jumps in difficulty and different things like that. So it just feels smooth. You'll find that design it that if the player doesn't want to, like, explore the entire game and they just want to experience the story and they go straight through the story, that they can do that. But it definitely will be more of a difficult experience that way because you're not doing the equipment crafting as much. You're not doing the side quests where a lot of the meat of the game is, more of the experience of the game is. Uh, But you could definitely do that. Those side things that we've built into the system, those things are definitely uh, encouraged uh, as you progress in the system as well or along the campaigns as well.
1: Yeah, that sounds difficult to balance for sure. Uh, What are you most proud of with creating this game?
0: Well, I'm really proud of my team. David Jancic, who has uh, written uh, the story, has done an amazing job. Created some amazing characters. Uh, These are characters that we actually um, had designed for a while. They were actually a stretch goal from our last campaign with Visions of Telios. If people go back to that campaign, they they look, they'll see a group called the Isopherian Guard that was going to be added to the Stonebound Saga as a group. There was even a playmat of that game From the Isofarian Snowfields was the playmat there. So there's some interesting tie-ins. But really proud of my team, the time that they put in uh, over the last year, year and a half, with all the writing, with all the design work um, in making a game of this scope. It's just huge. It it really is a big game, but it's going to be worth it at the end. We really think there's something very special here um, that's going to be something that will be on shelves and, and tables for years to come.
1: That's awesome. So, how can listeners purchase the game? I know it's on Kickstarter right now. Yep. If, if you listen to it once posted, so you have some time to back it and you can potentially late back it as well, I'm assuming. But are there other venues outside of Kickstarter?
0: Yeah, so the campaign will run until midnight on the morning of October 4th and we will obviously open up a pledge manager and late pledge system. Um, We're gonna be using Game on Tabletop for that after the Kickstarter is ended. Uh, I don't have a timetable on how long that will be open, but that will be available to people if they happen to miss the campaign. But obviously we would love your support during the campaign because we can unlock more stretch goals and content now um, as well. But as far as outside of the campaign, outside of the pledge manager itself, uh, the game will be available uh, to some select retailers. There's quite a few retailers that have jumped out of the campaign already uh, worldwide. Uh, so there there will be the Guard in different stores around. Uh, but there's no guarantee that this game will uh, reach distribution. Uh, there never is really with any game as much as we would like that to happen. Uh, this game specifically, though, is big and it's heavy. It, this is a beefy game. So players are familiar with the game Vindication. Uh, by Orange Nebula, it's the right now. It's the exact same box uh, dimensions. It could be a little bigger than that, depending on the content that we unlock during the campaign. But it's a big box. Uh, it's probably going to end up being around 15 pounds, maybe a little bit more. Over a hundred weighted chips, uh, close to a thousand cards. The game tray system. This is a lot of content. Um, so, a game like that, that that has premium components, maybe isn't the best fit. For distribution and the be out in the stores so I'll, much like chip theory games um, that are directly through, through the website uh, we will probably have a similar approach if it doesn't go to the distribution so you'll be able to get it at some select retailers we will continue to support retailers as well uh, directly if it doesn't go to distribution and of course we will have it available on our website, which is SkyKingdomGames.com as well.
1: Great, I think another thing we should mention too are the potential Kickstarter exclusives, because I'm not seeing any on the page. Are you expecting to have any in the future?
0: No, um, our team actually is uh, not a big fan of Kickstarter exclusives, especially ones that are gameplay related. We do like ones that are maybe like alternate art and things like that, and we actually have done things like that uh, with the Stone Mountain Saga uh, in our previous campaign. But with this one, just really wanted the pack, the core box with everything. The people that missed the campaign, um, they're not going to be missing anything big. They're still going to get that ex- same experience uh, in the box and didn't want to add any optional add-ons or optional buy-ins that increase the price. No, this is going to be a core game for 79 bucks that has everything. There's no, you know, expansion that seems forced or too early It's everything right there. Yeah, I really
1: like that. I'm getting a little tired of these Kickstarter exclusives and all these add-ons and the Price just seems inflated it goes after up you start up. adding of yeah. together. Yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. And and you get that FOMO from the Kickstarter exclusives, and or maybe you missed out. Now and and now it's like, well, do I really want to buy this game because I'm not going to get the quote unquote full experience? And you don't have any of that in this uh, campaign, can, from what you're telling me.
0: Yeah, well, it really the the game itself is the FOMO. <laughs> it, it, you don't want to miss this title. This is something we think that's a very unique uh, title. The, the blend of the different mechanics partnership with foreteller there's really nothing uh, like it on in the industry right now that combines professional voice acting a musical score an open world uh with all the different customization um it's going to be something really neat
1: you're checking out my boxes on this on that <laughs> list, <so. laughs> awesome well thank you so much eric for spending this time um talking to me about this game
0: thanks so much for having me steve
1: yeah i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule for that so for our listeners, I'll be putting a link to the Kickstarter in the uh, notes for this podcast. And But honestly, go out to Kickstarter and look for the and uh, Guard. I'll be on there for the next couple of weeks until, what would you say, October?
0: October 4th at midnight.
1: I'd like to thank a couple of our Patreon supporters, Andrew Barrett and Whiplash, who are co-op MVPs, and Joe Sokol, who is a co-op fan. Thanks you so much for your support and thanks everyone for listening. And thanks Eric again for joining us and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the one-stop co-op shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at one-stop co-op shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week with another top five list.